Hi, and welcome. I'm Jim Fries, and this is The Conversation, a podcast airing viewpoints on the impact of artificial intelligence on business and society. The Conversation is presented by Interactions, a conversational AI company that builds intelligent virtual assistants capable of human-level communication and understanding. In this episode, we'll discuss AI, automation, and the future of work. We're joined by Tom Davenport, a prolific author and well-known business professor focused on analytics and AI innovation. He's currently the Distinguished Professor of Information Technology and Management at Babson College. Tom, welcome and thank you for coming on the show. Thanks, Jim. Great to be here. There are some folks that work at Interactions who are students of yours, and I'm proud to say they're some of our best employees. So uh, a shout out to you and Babson. Great. We need to get more in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're hiring, so we're working on that. <laughs> okay. To start off, I actually want to dive right into a Harvard Business Review article you wrote back in 2015. I think it's one you wrote with a co-author, Julia Kirby. In the article, it was titled Beyond Automation. You talked about AI and the fear of job displacement. And that's obviously, when you're talking about AI, it's, it's, it's a very hot topic these days. At the time, four years ago, you wrote, suddenly it seems people in all walks of life are becoming very concerned about advancing automation. Could you describe what the atmosphere and the anxiety was like around automation in 2015? I think it was, um, that was just when some people were starting to, I think, apply excessive amounts of precision to how many jobs might be lost. There was this Oxford study suggesting that 47% of U.S. jobs were automatable, and there were a number of other studies related to that. And I don't think there had been too many pieces advocating what we were advocating. Now there are more, but this idea of augmentation, that smart humans and smart machines would be more likely to be working together rather than one replacing the other. And so we were advocating that and also saying that it was more likely, I think, than large-scale automation, at least anytime soon. Yeah, and it's interesting because I want to get to that concept of augmentation. Um, so the, the framing or the narrative in 2015, how have you seen that change over the course of the past four years? I think that the level of panic might be subsiding a bit. For a variety of reasons. One, I think a number of vendors, one might argue that it could be a little self-interested, but they're all pushing the augmentation idea. And two, we're not seeing a lot of job loss. Certainly, a lot of the companies that I work with are not laying off people in substantial numbers because of AI. I'm not sure there's a single one that I know of that falls into that category. Three, the economy is really great now, so I, I wouldn't necessarily be tragic if a few people lost their jobs. They could pretty easily find other ones. So I think the, the level of concern has subsided a bit. I just warn people against complacency. I, I do think we have to worry about this issue and we have to think about retraining and reskilling and what we would do if we did have large-scale job loss and, and maybe some ways we might prevent it. But in general, I think people are calming down a, a bit about it overall. You know, it's it's the history of technology for the past 500 years. I mean, there's there's technology that comes about and 
It helps make things more efficient. You know, it, it, it can be disruptive, but I don't know if AI is different than other significant technologies that have dramatically changed how, how we operate, how we communicate, and how we do our daily work. Well, it hasn't been so far, and you know there are lots and lots of AI projects underway in large, sophisticated organizations. Um, I think maybe one big difference is that now the potential population affected by this technology, AI, is not the you know the frontline worker, the textile worker, or um, factory worker, it's the knowledge worker. Uh, those are the people who uh, write books and articles and who appear on podcasts and so on. And um, so maybe they're making a little bit more more fuss about it when it starts to affect, I don't know, professors and lawyers and doctors and journalists and people along those lines. Well, I was afraid you were going down the path of, of me not having a job, so thankfully you didn't go there. Well, I did write a piece a couple of years ago about the automation of marketing, and as you know, I mean, I think there's still plenty of roles for human marketers, but same thing that I say about radiology and journalism and so on, the only marketers who will lose their jobs are those who refuse to work with AI because that field is being transformed just like every other one, as you well know. Absolutely. Let's come back to this notion that you brought up of uh, augmentation and that HBR article I referenced earlier. You suggested that uh, we reframe the threat of automation as an opportunity for augmentation. Could you explain a little bit about the thinking behind that and what you mean by augmentation? Yeah, we really tried to define five different ways that humans could add value to intelligent machines and um, suggested that um, most jobs, a lot of jobs would be changed by AI and that the things that humans do, um, some of them might be um, replaced by um, AI, but probably because AI is relatively narrow, entire jobs wouldn't go away. And we had some recommendations for you know, which of those five approaches might make the most sense for different different types of workers. So do you deal much at all or provide uh, advice to businesses and industry leaders to kind of promote this this notion of augmentation, to encourage them to, to think of it differently and instead of viewing it as a threat, but an, an opportunity? I do consult with some companies and, and I do um, educate senior management teams about it. But frankly, you know, I don't see a whole lot of, of response yet. Um, I, I don't see organizations saying augmentation is the approach that we're going to take, which I think is a good strategy because then your people will be a lot more likely to work with you in uh, adopting AI. And uh, furthermore, I don't see HR organizations stepping up to say, okay, let's start getting the workforce ready for these augmentation roles. So I, I don't know exactly what they're waiting for, maybe a little bit more clarity about the exact jobs affected and how they'll be affected. But by that point, it might be a little late to start retraining. So, and, and frankly, there are some factors that make me wonder how committed they are to augmentation. Um, I, I'm a senior advisor to Deloitte, um, as well. And we have done two different surveys 
uh, of the state of enterprise AI in the U.S. and uh, in a separate um, global survey. And in the last survey, 63% said they would like to cut costs by automating as many jobs as possible. So that was a bit of a surprise. And then a very low percentage, I think only 12% said that they were committed to retraining their current workforce to deal with AI. A uh, much larger number, um, around 70%, said, uh, you know, we might retrain some. We don't really care whether we retrain or rehire. And some said they preferred to rehire. So um, the, the level of, of commitment to the workforce at least in this sample, you know, it's supposed to be representative sample of, of large U.S. Um, company executives was was not terribly high. That's interesting. And actually, that the, the point you're just talking about really ties into the next question I had, which is which is around the advice you provide to, as an example, your MBA students around another notion that you've talked about, which is uh, uh, employability in the age of automation. What kinds of things do you suggest to your MBA students to strengthen their employability in an AI-driven or soon-to-be AI-driven workplace? I think there's, you know, one big choice that everybody needs to make. Do I, am I comfortable working with AI, smart machines, whatever you want to call them, as as a day-to-day colleague, or am I not? And if you are, if you're open to the idea that your job might be shaped, mediated, uh, assisted by AI, then you need to learn something about how AI works, and you need to be open to um, learning new skills whenever you can, and um, need to be trying to understand how you know an AI system makes decisions or take actions, takes actions, and being able to intervene, pick up the ball when when uh, an AI system drops it. Then the other choice is if you say, well, no, I, I really don't want to do that for a living. I, I don't want to spend my time with a computer by my side you know, doing some of the work. Then you need to say, okay, what can I do that machines can't do? Or maybe picking something that is so narrow, um, such a small niche that somebody's unlikely to be automating it anytime soon. And those are those are hard choices just because, you know, the technology is changing all the time, getting more capable, got to constantly monitor the, the state of technology if you're going to take that strategy of I'm, I'm going to avoid this stuff. Yeah, the latter strategy you just outlined certainly sounds like a risky one. It, I think it is, but there are some things that machines aren't terribly good at today, highly creative um, jobs, highly empathetic jobs, um, or it may be that that humans prefer to work with people for certain types of things, even if they could be done by machines. Um, you know, maybe we'd rather have a human lawyer or a human judge than a, a machine-based lawyer or judge, even if those things are possible. Even if you think about autonomous vehicles, uh, right now people are not very sanguine about having or even driving around in autonomous vehicles. Now, I suspect that will change somewhat over time, but you know, it may be that people are willing to pay a bit extra for having a human driver. So I don't know. Uh, as you say, that's a risky assumption, but it may, be, may end up being true. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. It just it seems like a risky proposition long term, given how quickly technology moves and how what seems five or six years ago not doable is becoming increasingly doable. So interesting uh, for people who go down that path, they're just uh, going to have to stay on top of or be very narrow in what they choose and, and hope the need for that exists. Uh, your background is in analytics, or you have a background in analytics. Can you explain how the insight uh, that you've garnered from data and analytics informs your your views, your examination of automation and the future of work? Yeah, you know, one key factor is that analytics and AI are the same in some key respects. I mean, in analytics, we talk about predictive analytics, and that turns out to be basically identical to the simpler forms of machine learning, you know, which are basically predicting an unknown outcome based on learning from a, a data set for which the outcome is known. Now, machine learning does tip often have more complex algorithms, and I think we're making a lot of progress at doing things um, like image recognition and so on that traditional analytics were not great at. But there are a lot of similarities. I think a lot of the people who deal with analytics in organizations are fairly well-equipped to learn new skills and start working with AI. So I encourage a lot of companies to retrain and augment the skills of their existing analytics people so they can do AI work. Now, in the work that your company does, language-oriented applications have historically been kind of a world to themselves. And knowing analytics doesn't necessarily mean that you can do, you know, an intelligent agent system or even a chatbot really well. There are some statistical versions of them, as, as you know, but um, a lot of them are quite semantic in their orientation. And that really comes more from computational linguistics than it does from statistics and, and analytics, historically speaking. Well, it is interesting, though, that, that you know, there are capabilities that that we have in some of our vertically focused uh, applications that we could easily characterize as predictive analytics. Um, you know, I'm thinking about we have a vertical in food services where we're applying our technology to to ordering, and uh, um, it's interesting. We've we've built some predictive uh, analytics models that suggest what's the best opportunity for upsell. So there's certainly some, I think, uh, applicability, as you pointed out, and direct applicability of analytics to, you know, AI. They're, they're all based on big data, right? Yeah. And, you know, I think there are only so many underlying capabilities of AI. There's statistics, there's semantics, and there's logic in the form of rules and so on. And, Basically, all AI is some combination of those three things. So uh, if you're aware of those underlying bu building blocks, then I, I think, you know, you, you could do a lot of great work in AI. I, I, um, I was thinking about, I attended a Wall Street Journal event, their first event that they did on uh, AI. They've got a focus now on AI. And uh, they had an interesting program where they had uh, lots of speakers. And the thing that struck me, and it really relates to my next question, is there are an awful lot of companies talking about what they're planning on doing regarding AI as opposed to what they're actually doing. And I'm wondering if, if you have advice for businesses that are thinking about doing AI, know they need to take on some AI initiatives, probably in the context of digital transformation, 
How do you suggest they move forward with incorporating AI and automation into their organization? Are there best practices? Is there a methodology? What do you suggest? Well, first, I suggest that you shouldn't wait too long. And uh, I wrote a little piece with a friend and a former colleague, Vikram Maidar, saying that fast followers are unlikely to, to do well with AI because it requires a lot of learning and a lot of data. And, you know, accumulating those things tends to take a while. Um, some of the other Deloitte surveys I've done suggest, I, I think these must be slightly inflated, but, you know, over half have a process for putting prototypes into productions. Almost half have executive champions. 37% have well-developed strategy for AI. So I, I wouldn't wait too long is my first advice. And then the other thing that you find, you know, is companies that are a little bit beyond just planning, but they, they just have a pilot or a prototype and they seem unwilling or unable to get the, that into production. And um, so... I'm starting to advise companies to, from the very beginning, you know, it's okay to start with a pilot, but um, have kind of a pipeline in mind, just as if, you know, it were a sales funnel. Think about what factors might move it along or what might be preventing it from moving along. Have some goals for what percentage of projects move down the funnel successfully and start evaluating your AI people, not just on you know, how many machine learning models they produce, but how many production uh, deployments do they achieve? And my guess is that would start to change their perspective quite dramatically. Unfortunately, both analytics and AI people seem to think that the purpose of their existence in many cases is creating models. And models by themselves don't add any value to businesses. You have to you know, embed them into uh, business processes and roles and information system, production systems, if they're going to add any value. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree with you. One final question for you. Do you have a uh, kind of an audacious prediction for five years from now regarding the, the state of AI and automation? Um, well, I don't know how audacious it is. I think that a lot of these categories will be combined, so it will no longer make any sense to say, well, yeah, that's a that's a robotic process automation application or a deep learning application or an NLP application because it, things will all be combined and there will be lots and lots of, I don't know, APIs or whatever all over the place that you can call for whatever purpose you need. I think that we will start to see, you know, I, I'm a big believer in what I call a Mara's Law. I wrote, that, wrote about that in my recent book on AI called The AI Advantage. And this futurist Roy Amara once said that new technologies tend to be overestimated in the short run and underestimated in the long run. And so, I don't know, five years is kind of the medium run, I think, the way many business people think. We'll start to see kind of impressive collection of things. You know, what you have to do with AI to really transform an organization is put a number of applications in place. And we'll start to say, yeah, that that company really transformed its customer service or that company really transformed its product offerings with AI. Now, a lot of it's kind of, you know, invisible. Even at Amazon, Jeff Bezos said that much of what they do with machine learning is, quote, quietly but meaningfully improving core operations, unquote. But I think we'll see some pretty dramatic things start to happen in five years 
some other things like fully autonomous vehicles, I'm still not sure we'll see those in five years. That may take a little bit longer, but we'll we'll start to notice the businesses that have really, really been aggressive about AI. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, I think we see that with some of our our customers who have really uh, aggressively um, embraced AI and and see the value in it and aren't doing it as a science experiment, but are doing it as you know a a major transformation uh, of their business. And they're they're garnering real benefits. I mean, real benefits from it, whether it be in terms of improved customer experience or whether it be in terms of significant cost being driven out of the business. So. Tom, it has been fantastic having you on the show. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, Thank you very much. Thanks, Jim. I enjoyed it. Take care. Bye-bye. This episode of The Conversation was recorded at the PRX Podcast Garage in Alston, Massachusetts, and produced by Interactions, a Massachusetts-based conversational AI company. That's a wrap for this episode of The Conversation. I'm your host, Jim Fries, signing off. We'll see you next time.